This morning we're going to be continuing our study of uh, 2 Corinthians. This has been a wonderful letter and I hope you've been feeling blessed as you've been through journeying through it together. And this morning we're going to be reading from uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 uh, and we're going to be reading verses 1 to 18. So if you turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 4, we're reading verses 1 to 18. Again, I've said this before, but I love the way you do this. You've got Bibles at the end of the rows. And uh, again, if you're a visitor here this morning and you don't have a Bible at home, these are for the taking. So do take them away as a gift and use them as well. <laughs> so with that, let's, let's uh, read God's Word together. It will come up on screen as well. Sorry? Is it? Verse 1. So it reads, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory, displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be also revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believe, therefore, I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Amen. Thank 
Thanks be to God for his word. You know, I've titled this um, Four Features in the Face of Christ. One of you can remember, way back in 2001, there was a, a forensic, uh, a retired forensic anthropologist. You can tell I've been practicing that word. <laughs> His name was Richard Neve. And uh, he created a model of a Galilean man for a BBC documentary, and it was titled Son of God. Uh, and he was working on the basis of an actual skull that was found in the region from that year, era or that period in time. Now, he never claimed that this was the face of Jesus, but news, some news outlets gave that impression. I think it was just to generate interest in what might have other been a very boring documentary. <laughs> but for him, for, for Richard Neve, the reason why he did it was simply to prompt people to consider Jesus has been a man of his time uh, and in a certain place at a certain time. Because even from the whole stretch of the New Testament, we're never given a, a physical description of what Jesus looked like. Though Isaiah, funny enough, way back a few hundred years before, gave us some pointers. And I think we wouldn't have been all that impressed, <laughs> to be honest, from what Isaiah says. He wasn't, it seemed there was nothing in him that would have drawn us to him. Because often we have this idolized picture of what Jesus looks like, don't we? But the reason why I've called this because, as you notice from the reading of that passage, Paul makes reference again and again to the image of God, the glory of God, the face of Christ. And in one sense, I was in a quandary when I was preparing a PowerPoint for this. Should I actually put up a picture of what uh, Richard Neve had come up with? And I was like, no, actually, I won't, because what it, and that revealed to me is we are so easily swayed by the outward appearance of things, aren't we? You know, we attach too much gravitas to what, you know, the aesthetics of a thing, even though they're transient, and we make rash judgments and assumptions based on, well, if something's physically appealing to us or not. <laughs> so I'll leave what Jesus looks like to your imagination. <laughs> And when we do meet him, we'll be so much better. But there's four features in this passage that I think that we'll see in the person of Jesus as well. You know, when it says we were created in his likeness. When we come to faith, when we're coming to faith, when we put our trust in Christ, it's almost like a restoration of that image being restored. And not initially in a physical appearance sense. I'm talking about features of the character, of the soul, of the person, of the being. And there's four things. And what I've drawn from the passage, I'll just quickly list them, but we'll look at them as we go on. It's authenticity, humility, fragility, and eternity. If you look at what Paul says, just again, we turn to the beginning of the passage, says, rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor we do distort the, tr the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience. In the sight of God. I think here at the beginning of this passage, Paul is setting forth, in one sense, one of the first things I want to recognize and I want to um, put to you this morning is that God wants us to be authentic. Authentic. And I don't mean in a very narrow way, just in about regards to our witness when we're speaking to other people about Jesus, but in a sense, our whole lives should be authentic. 
you know, you don't start being a Christian and start witnessing when you start using words from Scripture. <laughs> Everywhere, every relationship, the way you interact with people and your spheres of influence, you're being a witness. You're representing Christ. But sometimes authenticity feels like a weakness. And sometimes we're afraid to show it. We're afraid to be honest. Sometimes not always we... Uh, a negative connotation, as if we're trying to hide some dark and horrible and we're up to mischief. I'm just talking about what life is like. And it can be difficult. It has its highs and its lows. And I think from Paul, he wants to encourage us, as he imitates Christ, he wants us to imitate Christ. And he wants us to be authentic. You know, what does Jesus say of himself? I am the way, the truth, and the life. From John 14. Jesus also said, For this reason I was born and have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. John 18, verse 37. So, as I say, what I want to challenge you with this morning is to encourage you towards living an authentic Christian life. And what does that mean? What does that look like for us? And what would be the benefits of it? I think if we begin to cultivate these characteristics in our walk, in our relationship with Christ, certainly I think we'll feel a greater intimacy, a closeness with. There'll almost be a quickening of the soul towards that movement towards Christ as well. And what, is it, what else does authenticity mean? I think what it means is that it's whereby Jesus takes a limelight. At the end of the day, it is ultimately all about him. That sounds like a very um, obvious thing to say. Sometimes it's so obvious we forget, to, <laughs> we forget to remind ourselves of it because we ourselves can so easily find ourselves in the limelight or drawn ourselves to the center of the throne rather than recognizing that it's his. You know, to pursue a biblically authentic life means that Jesus, as I say, becomes a spotlight of our lives. And in a sense, we're not in competition with them. <laughs> Sometimes we want to present ourselves as holier almost than Jesus was. <laughs> More devout than Jesus was. Now that sounds ridiculous. But if we take the way that sometimes we operate and the way we act, that's exactly what we're doing. We're not being true to who we are. And we're not being true, we're not allowing what Jesus wants to do in us, to be seen. When we're not authentic, when we're, not, we're actually robbing ourselves of something, and indeed we're robbing Christ as well. Inauthenticity, that's a word, isn't it? <laughs> it betrays us. It betrays us because it doesn't allow any room to visibly see the work of grace in our lives. There's no room, we've not allowed any room for God to work or to use ourselves, to use a weak and a broken vessel. We don't make space for that actual, that beautiful picture that God is painting in our lives. And the old fathers of the church used to call it sanctification. It's that gradual growth and progression where you started here and you're almost like you're growing into what, you've already, what, you, what God calls you to be. You know, we're the sons, we're the princes, we're the children of God. 
And our lives don't look and feel like it sometimes at this very moment. But I'm telling you, God is doing a work in you, and it's called sanctification, whereby his grace pouring into your life, he's transforming you, renewing your mind day by day and day by day, that in a year's time, you're going to be a different person than where you were today. But for being unauthentic, if we keep covering it up with this glossy kind of Facebook profile, where's for anyone to see it? Authenticity. That's what Paul is calling us to. Not just in the way we talk about Jesus, but the way that Jesus is operating in our lives. Not ashamed of our flaws and failures because God is working in them. You know, by not pursuing authenticity, it leaves the question, where is the need for Christ in our lives then? You know, Jesus said himself, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous but sinners. And as we're being authentic, it's not an end in itself, it's actually a tool to help us to get to our end goal, which is ultimately Jesus himself. It's a tool and not an end in itself. It makes room to make mistakes. It gives us the space to learn from our our, our learning, our trip-ups, You know, we cheer even more when we see the person who's fallen on the track get up and keep running, (laughs) don't we? And God does the same. It's a wonderful thing to be authentic because then everyone can see and look and behold and say, wow, I can see what God is doing in you and it's marvelous. I know you're struggling here in this. I remember you struggled with that before and there you've overcome it because of the grace of God at work in your life. It's wonderful. So let's not be afraid to be authentic. And as we are being authentic, it gives way to the other aspects of that character, of the other features that we see in the person of Christ. Jesus is sufficient. We don't have to make up for him in any area of our lives. Everything is perfect, and he does, his timing is perfect. So be patient. You don't have to supplement him. (laughs) He is sufficient, and he will take you on a greater glory in your life. You know, just by way as a a wee warning as we are about authenticity, I remember um, it was a a train journey. It was was quite a few years ago. It was way even before I met Jude, my wife. But it still sticks in my mind because... Uh, I was journeying between Aberdeen to Glasgow. It was an evening uh, train journey, midweek. So the service was quite quiet. And I was expecting a relaxed, comfortable journey. But I could hear two young guys sit further up from me. And they were engaged in conversation with this other fellow. And I can't help but hear because they were talking quite loud. But I found myself actually becoming more and more frustrated. I was listening to this conversation. These seemed like two young, impressionable guys. And this other guy had sort of talking like he was about a guru on life, you know. And I was listening. I was thinking there was so many contradictions in what he was saying, his exploits, his achievements, his outlook on life. I've actually found myself becoming more and more frustrated. And I don't know whether it was at them because they were taking this all out, <laughs> or whether it was this, this guy. And the sad thing is, if I had met that guy afterwards. 
And if there was even a grain of truth in anything he said, I would have been hard-pressed to actually believe anything just because of his phoniness. So just a word of warning. <laughs> Be authentic. <laughs> so if you're authentic, as I say, we're going to give way to these other three features. And the next thing that we see in Paul and that we see in the face of Christ is humility. What does Paul say from verse 5? But what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. You know, when we read this, certainly Paul is speaking about his own conduct and his own ministry. But we know as we read passage, this isn't Paul's story. This is our story as well. He's reminding us about what it is to be Christian. It's what it is to be a follower of Jesus. You take authenticity out of Christianity, you take out Jesus. You take out humility, you take out Jesus. You know, Jesus modeled humility throughout his whole earthly ministry. You know, you won't advance a, 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 a one step in pursuit of Christ if you're not willing to adopt some element of humility into your life. Paul wrote of Jesus again in Philippians. He says, and this is him speaking about Jesus, who ex- existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, He humbled himself and became obedient to death and even death on a cross. Paul doesn't have any issues with humility. Maybe he did to begin with. But again, just as he's been sanctified, we are being sanctified. We're changing. We're growing in maturity. And there will be times, peaks and troughs of opportunities to show humility, to be humble. And sometimes they come at us unexpectedly as well. We think we've dealt with it. Then we're met with something else. And I think, oh, there's another degree of humility here I need to apply. (laughs) And we'll keep on learning. We'll keep on growing. And whilst we're in this life, we will all struggle with that little problem of the ego. There will be times in life where it writes to raise its flag and say, hey, 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 I'm still here. What about me? No, it's me. Hey, (laughs) give me the applause. You know, we do love it. Even though some of us who do don't like to be in the limelight, we still like to be acknowledged and given a little backhanded praise sometimes. It's, it's our makeup. But the danger is, is when we begin to forget and we turn, begin to turn the spotlight again on ourselves. And sometimes it's so unconscious, it's not a deliberate thing many times. Again, it's just the ego creeping in, sneakily, unexpectedly. And we set ourselves up as the main act, when really all the time we've been the support act. You know, I don't, I've never heard anybody speaking about going to a rock concert or a music concert or some event to go and watch the support act. It's always the main act. That's what everyone's paying to see. That's what they want to see. That's what they want to hear. And it's the same for ourselves as well. We're like John. He must become greater. He must become lesser. We need to remind ourselves daily that he is bigger and that we are smaller. But how do we do that? How do we combat the the little eagle that likes to raise its flag? I think the easiest way to do it is just to forget everything else. 
and just spend time in Jesus' presence. Seek him. Seek his face. You know, I'd love to say, I've written a book. <laughs> Here, do this. Follow my plan. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about him at the end of the day. And simply repeating what Mary did when she sat there on the floor at Jesus' feet. She was in awe of him. The woman who came in with that jar of perfume, her mind was on Jesus. He was the greatest. He will always be the greatest. And that's what we need to do. It's just submitting to him, just resting in his presence. It will always set that, put things back in balance. You are Christ. I'm your child. You are the king. I am the servant. And that's the way it is. And that's the way it should be. You know, recently, uh, well, been for some time now, and it's a great frustration to us. The EasyJet don't fly to Gatwick anymore, where Jude's family live nearby. And I'd say I'd love to get on a plane and plant myself in the cockpit and say, excuse me, I'm going to fly this plane. And I know exactly where I want to take it. <laughs> but I'm wise enough to know that it wouldn't be a good idea, either for me <laughs> or for everybody else in that plane. <laughs> Sometimes in life, it's good to be a passenger. And certainly, we are destiny and our ultimate goal and being a living and authentic life. Jesus, you be the pilot, and I'll be the passenger. Amen. You know, I, I, I forgot to share this, but I want to just put it in, because it's just a lovely illustration. Samuel Morse, who was the inventor of the Morse code, he's obviously a Christian, because he said this about himself. He says, Morse received many honors from his inventions of the telegraph, but felt undeserving. And this is what he said about himself. I've made a valuable application of electricity, not because I'm superior to other men, but solely because God, who meant it for mankind, must reveal it to someone. And he was pleased to reveal it to me. <laughs> I like that. And even Paul himself is acknowledging when he says, you know, the God who called light out of darkness, that's a nod, yes, to Genesis, but it's also a reminder to him and to us of his Damascus Road experience. Paul's heart was dark. God shone his light into it. And he does the same with us. We don't switch on the lights. He does it. <laughs> we just get to show it off. So if we're going to be authentic, we're going to be humble. And if we're going to be humble, then we won't be embarrassed about showing our fragility. Just picking up again from verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. And then Paul goes on to describe really what it has been like for him and the apostles and the missionaries who have gone around spreading the good news. It hasn't been an easy ride. But they survive, they continue, they press on. And he uses the illustration of clay pots. You know, clay pots back then, there was cheapest chips. You know, they were commonplace for common purpose. There was nothing special about them. In fact, um, if you're in a hurry and you need a vessel, just quickly go and buy a clay pot. That was, that was the kind of attitude to them. There was... You know, if you wanted something really special, yeah, go and get a, an alabaster one or something else. 
put clay pots. Commonplace. And I suppose today, for us, the equivalent would be like the plastic Tupperware box. You know, the old ice cream tub <laughs> that you've reused and washed it and you put everything and all your junk in it. And we're plastic ice cream tubs. <laughs> Maybe a wee bit more longer last than a clay pot, but <laughs> the analogy is there. Virtually worthless. And I used to use this assembly in schools whereby I'd ask the kids, how much are you worth? And then we'd do this little illustration whereby it says, well, if you broke down your body to its basic components, salt, sulfur, and all that kind of stuff, well, you'd have enough raw material there that's probably about £16.50. <laughs> It's quite humbling, isn't it, when we see ourselves in that light? You're worth about £16.50. <laughs> but actually, the truth is, you are sacred and you're special, not because of your makeup, but because of what God has put inside of you. And that's what he's done. We're all clay pots, we're all ice cream tubs, but we're made so special because God has put his spirit in you. He has put the spirit of Christ in you, the likeness of his son. He is indwelling in you. You know, we have this tendency, when somebody gives us a precious gift, we think, oh, I need to get something really special to put that in. <laughs> we would never think of putting a Rolex or our engagement or our wedding ring inside an ice cream tub, would we? But yeah, that's exactly what God has done for each and every one of us. He's put the most precious and wonderful thing in a commonplace, everyday thing. You and me. And the reason why he does that is to elevate the sense of wonder and the sense of grace. Our tendency, God is so countercultural. We think we need to dress ourselves up to look the part to make ourselves then worthy of the thing that has then been placed inside us. Transformation doesn't come like that. Transformation comes by God transforming it from the inside, not the outside. It's by what he puts in us that brings about the transformation and the value and the wonder and that sense of awe-inspiring grace is at work in you because of what God has put in you. speak about fragility because we want to appear strong we want to appear that we've matched the thing that's been put inside us but so often then we can get in the way of people beholding and seeing the wonderful thing because we have dressed ourselves up to look like something almost to match the thing that's inside it's not on you it's what God has done inside you you know there's a wonderful illustration uh, about John Stott I think it's one of Nicky Gumbel's favorite stories. I like it too. And it reads this. John Stott is one of the greatest Christians in the 20th century. And on one occasion, he was speaking at a university mission in Sydney in Australia. And on the last night of the mission, he was thinking of pulling out of speaking. Since as a result of an infection, he had virtually lost his voice. Eventually, he was persuaded to speak. And waiting on the side... Uh, room beforehand, he whispered a request and a prayer uh, to the words of the thorn of the flesh from verse 2 in Corinthians 12. And it was almost like these verses came alive for him. It was a loving prayer. It was almost as if he was having a conversation with Jesus as he repeated these words. 
John Stott said, I beg you to take it away from me. Jesus' response was, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And John Stott replied, as in the words of Paul, I will all the more gladly boast of my weaknesses that the power of Christ may rest upon me, for when I am weak, then I am strong. And this is what John Stott says. When the time came for the address, all I can say is that I croaked the gospel through the microphone in a monotone. I was utterly unable to modulate my voice or exert my personality in any way. But all the while, I was crying to the Lord to fulfill his promise to perfect his power through my weakness. He went back to Australia seven or eight times after that. And on every occasion, somebody would come up to him and say, do you remember that final service in the University Great Hall when you lost your voice? (laughs) I came to Christ that night. You don't have to match Jesus power for power. He's power enough. And even in your weakness, his power will be displayed even more greatly. And I want to challenge you this morning because so often we rule ourselves out of serving or doing something for Christ because we look around and think, well, I don't measure up to um, Mark and Julie or somebody's doing something wonderful in church. I, I couldn't do that. You're looking at the wrong thing. It's not them. It's Christ in them. And you are capable and you will do even greater things. Because it's not about you. Your weakness, in fact, exaggerates. It elevates the wonderful thing that Christ wants to do. So if you come in here hobbling, or complaining, or moaning, or whinging, saying, I can't do this because you better watch out. Because <laughs> you actually fit in the dimensions that Jesus wants to put something in, and wants to draw something out of. You know, the scripture is full of references of containers that Jesus used. Remember the six water stone water jars that were sitting outside the wedding feast? Again, there was nothing special about them. There was nothing special inside them either until Jesus did something wonderful inside them. And it became a blessing to everyone else. That little jar of nard perfume sitting or hiding under a cupboard somewhere for years. But yet something wonderful was done with inside of it. And we remember it. (laughs) We don't know what, what, what it looked like, but we certainly know what it achieved. And to take the analogy even further, you know that basket, five loaves and two fish. It was meager. It was, other people said, loaves, what can he do with that? But he brought it. And Jesus did something wonderful with it. And that's what he wants to do with us. So don't try to think you've got to complete some kind of know, makeup, makeover or something. Christ wants to use you as you are now. Lord, here I am. Use me. And lastly, you know, our fragility, it does remind us as well there's something greater still to come. And so we fix our eyes on eternity. 
Paul wrote, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you, with, sorry, present us with you to himself. Therefore, we don't lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far away is them all. So we fix our eyes not what is unseen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. You know, I asked this question when I spoke this at our insight, and uh, I, I'm expecting a similar response, maybe a wee bit more so. Put your hand up if you're a runner. <laughs> I'm only putting my hand up to demonstrate I'm not a runner. <laughs> How many was that? About four. <laughs> Um, it's those same people. Would you like to run a race that never came to an end? No, not really. <laughs> I might be, I might be encouraged to take on a race, but one that never comes to an end, that, that does nothing for me. <laughs> and in a sense, we are in a similar race. You know, Paul, has, as we're familiar, has used the analogy before of the race of the marathon runner, running, pressing on towards Christ, because we have a goal, we have a destiny, we have a, we have a finishing line. That we see it, and we know it's coming. And regardless of whatever our pace is, we're getting there <laughs> slowly but surely for some of us. Some of it feels like, I'm, 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 I'm racing. <laughs> but to, to run a race without no end, that would be demoralizing in itself, wouldn't it? No purpose. The struggles, the, the, the effort. For what? For nothing. But that's not the kind of race we're called to run. We have, as Paul says, we have our eyes fixed on Jesus. And a wonderful thing is, you know, he's running alongside us. He's given us his Holy Spirit. We have a foretaste of what it would be like when we experience the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Our coach, <laughs> prompting us, egging us on, carrying us at times. But it's a foretaste. Because a wonderful thing is, it's when you cross the line. And we will embrace him. And what does the scripture say? We, when we see him, we shall be like him. We will know him as he knows us. I don't know if it would be possible to do this without the Holy Spirit, but it gladdens my heart to know I, I, I'm going to get there. And I, I, I press on for the joy of knowing him. Of knowing him more. Of being with him eternally and forever with no obstacles or anything further in the way anymore. I will press on till I see him face to face. I can't, I can't comprehend or imagine what it will be like to be eternally in his presence. Physically, spiritually, in every sense. It is amazing and it's awe-inspiring. And I'll, yeah, well, I'll, I'll, I'll run a marathon. <laughs> for that. But I'm content just to run this race. And if I can, in the course of that journey, begin to adopt, begin to show that, 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 that reflection of his likeness is going to help me. It's going to help me to get there. It's going to be an encouragement to others to get there. Authenticity. Humility. Fragility. But we're an eye fixed on eternity. I can't wait. And I'm going to keep running. And I want to encourage you this morning as well, particularly if you're feeling hard-pressed or you think, oh, 
Lord, I can't do this anymore. Fix your eyes on eternity. Fix your eyes on him. As Paul says, our troubles in this room will be wide and varied from week to week, from day to day. But they are light and they are momentary. And I don't mean to be blasé about what it is. I'm just comparing it to his glory. And I think it's okay to say that. His glory, when you see it and when you're in it, everything else would have just been a blink of an eye. So I want to encourage you this morning. Press on towards Christ. Pursue him with all your heart. Let go of the Facebook profile image. (laughs) Be authentic. Let the grace of God operate in your lives. And if you're a bit of a lone ranger, with somebody. Share your life with others. Remember, Christ is in them as well, and there will be an encouragement in the race towards him. Let's stand.